You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Uh, we started this series last week titled The Middle. And uh, we started this series because of this obvious but simple concept that everything that has a beginning and everything that has an end, by definition, it'll have a middle. And we typically are familiar with beginnings. Generally, we are better with beginnings. Generally, we plan for endings. But the middle, the middle can throw us off a little bit. The middle can happen and, and, and things in the middle happen that can, can kind of catch us by surprise. You know, we can, we can picture the beginning. We can have a plan for a good finish. But even the best planners and forecasters among us here today cannot predict or foresee everything that will happen in the middle in whatever situation you might be in or start or face. See, because in the middle we are surprised with unexpected things. It could be good things. In the middle you could be surprised with that blessing, that unexpected blessing. You, you could get a good break in the middle that you weren't expecting. And in the same token, in the middle, you could be thrown a curveball that you weren't expecting. A, a diagnosis or an injury or an accident can happen or a pink slip and in the middle, when unplanned things happen, it can throw you off a little bit. See, the beginning days are usually consistent. If you've ever been on a first date, you could probably write down everything that's going to happen. For starters, all the parties are going to be smelling good. <laughs> Everybody's going to be in their best behavior. They're going to use all the big words they know. The second and third date are probably going to be the same too, and they're predictable. You know, if you start a financial plan, first three months are great. Everybody's in it, and the family is in it, and everybody's happy. And if, if you're married, the husband and the wife are supportive, and you pay the bills on time. You don't spend extra money. You don't order takeout food, and you pay, you put some money in savings. And the first two months, the beginning is kind of predictable. If you've started a new job, you know the beginning is always great. Everybody loves you and they welcome you and it's awesome. And the same token for some of those more challenging situations, the beginning also can be very predictable. If you've ever started a diet or a workout plan, you know that the beginning days are predictably horrible. You know that good kind of horrible? That kind of horrible that makes you look your trainer in the eye and go, this is the worst day of my life, but I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Every part of you is in pain, but you're glad you're there. You say, my God, I'm out of shape. Lord, help me. But I'll do this again tomorrow. The beginning can be predictable, but not so in the middle. Because in the middle, you could have a really good day and a really bad day, and they can happen back to back. I don't know if you've had that happen to you. I literally had that happen a week ago. In the beginning, in the middle, you can have a day, a good day, and a bad day. Last Friday, two, two, nine days ago, nine days ago, Friday, it was an awesome day. It was a beautiful day. It was an amazing day that Friday. 
I woke up to the sound of my daughters on our bed. They wake up with the sunrise, so it's, I try to beat them, but sometimes it's hard because in the summer, the sunrise is really early. So our youngest daughters, uh, younger, uh, the two, they're the same age, so uh, they, they come up to our beds, and they were laughing and joking and tickling each other, and so the day started, we went through our morning routine, and I had some work I wanted to do, so I did the work, and uh, we had a big delivery that was supposed to be delivered, the new sound system for the church that was donated by Hope City Church in Houston, Texas. Yes, if you sound, if, if you heard an extra oomph on the sound, it's because, uh, you know, everybody's excited about the new sound system, and it's, it was going to come that Friday, and... Uh, and so it was supposed to come between 10 and 6 p.m., that, that small window that they give you. You got to be on call. So I went off to the library like I do most Fridays and to do some work. Uh, and everything went great, and I got the work done sooner than expected. It was about 11.45, and I just prayed under my breath. And I said, God, please help this delivery come earlier today by 2 p.m. because our dear friend Santo, whom you met last week, had bought us tickets to the ball game and we were going to watch the Yankees versus the Red Sox that night at Yankee Stadium. So we were excited. The spirits were good and I'm like, God, please let FedEx deliver this before 2. I kid you not. I prayed at 11.45 by 12, by noon. I got a phone call from the delivery guy. Hey, I'm going to be at the address in 30 minutes. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I go home, I had already picked up the church truck, got in the truck, went to the delivery space where we needed to be a commercial address. So I'm there, parked with the truck. The, the delivery guy lowers the lift gate of this massive truck right inside the church truck, simply pushes the delivery across. It's perfect space. I close the door. Less than five minutes, I'm like, can this day get any better? <laughs> I got home. Showered, we got ready, we were on the train to the city by 3 p.m. We were walking the city, Alini and I are trying to buy some Yankee gear because we want to support the local team, right? We've been here for five years, so we're like, you know what? Let's buy some Yankee gear. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> some mixed feelings here today. All right, walking on eggshells. Uh, so we couldn't find it. We met our friend. We had some dinner. On our way to the subway station, there's this big Yankee store with lots of sales. So I got to buy a shirt. A lady got to buy a cap. On the way to the subway, we get to the ball game. It was perfect. The Yankees beat the Red Sox 8-1. to That's amazing. The game ended early. We were home by 11 and the kids were in bed. It was perfect. Full moon waiting for the train. It was amazing. The weather was great. The vibes were great. It was a great day. That was a good day. The very next day, I wake up not feeling so well. There's like something is happening. Don't worry. I only had a Pepsi. It wasn't that. I woke up. I'm like, ah, my head is pounding. Got to get some Tylenol, went to the library again to do some more work, got home, and Alini just tells me that he, she's been thrown up on her face, like the, one of the kids threw up on her face, like, like, like over here, like over here. And the other kid has a fever. And when your kids are sick, the day is just not good. So I get home after lunch, and I get that, and then they're exchanging symptoms. Fever goes high on one, and the other throws up, and you, you know. 
And it just, the day just wasn't good. By, the, by midnight, they had thrown up multiple times and uh, um, had to preach the next day here on Sunday. And, but it was not so much of a good day. Not only that, earlier that night, the, the, the Yankees lost 11-0 to, to the Red Sox. So <laughs> it was not a good day because the middle, in the middle, you can have ups and downs. In the middle, you can have a really good day and a really, really bad day. You can have ups so high in the middle. It can make you feel like you're almost there. Like you're, you're, you're about to attain and achieve and and then the very next day you can have lows that are so low, downs that are so low that they almost reassure you that you're never going to get there. And in the roller coaster of challenges and emotions and days, sometimes it's difficult for us to grasp what to do. And that's what I want to share with you this morning because in the middle between the good and the bad, we have to realize that something is happening when you're having those highs and those lows something is happening that you might not realize immediately but God is working in you he's testing your convictions he's purifying you through the process God is weeding out some of the relationships that are not to be there meant to be there God is moving cer certain things around and he is stretching you so the highs and the lows and the ups and downs in the middle that you go through the middle they are not really setting you back they are setting you up they are preparing you for where you're supposed to go they are really getting you that extra stretch that you will need to finish well they are building that extra muscle that you will need to finish strong they are building that patience that you will need so that you can get to the end and fulfill your purpose in peace the highs and the lows in the middle, they serve a purpose. And, you know, if you're wondering if Jesus, the Son of God, ever had days like that, where one day is high and the other is low, I got to tell you, yes, he had a few. In fact, one of them I want to highlight and share with you this morning because there was one day that I'm pretty sure if it was not the best day of his ministry, it was certainly top three. Jesus was doing good, man. I'm pretty sure that after that day, the disciples look at each other and they said, it's a good day. This is a good day. This is probably the best day we've ever had. But the very next day, it was probably one of the worst as well. You almost miss it because when you read the text, the two things that happen are so shocking. The events are so shocking that you detach your emotion from it because you're reading it. And one has a miracle. The other one has a very strong teaching. But let's go to the text in John chapter 6 and let's begin. John chapter 6, both days are in that whole chapter if you want to go home and read it later. But we're going to read a couple passages in that chapter just to give you a synopsis of that day that Jesus went through. And then I'm going to share three uh, lessons that we learn from that. John 6 verses 1 through 3 and it says, After this Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. This was the upswing of his ministry. Things were good. Jesus was becoming very famous. Not the kind of fame that we hear today, a good kind of fame, because he was healing people. He was doing 
good. He was showing God's love to the people. And now he has this huge crowd, which John says in his gospel that they were in in a large place. They had a lot of grass. So he, he, he has this huge crowd and he goes up the mountain and begins to teach them and begins to talk to them. But he realizes that these people are hungry and they need some food. So he looks at Philip and says, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip was like, whoa, Jesus, you're giving a free conference and you got to feed them too? I didn't know that. This is a free conference. <laughs> you're going to feed them as well? It's like, hey, what do we have to to feed him. And, and, and Philip said, well, even if we spent more than a half year's salary, we, wouldn't, we would only be able to give him a little bit. We wouldn't be able to f- really feed them. He said 200 denarii. A denarii was a, a, a day salary back then. And, and, so, and so Jesus asks, what do we have? In the Mark account, he asks, what do we have? And, 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 and because that's what Jesus does. When he wants to do something in your life, he doesn't ask you what you don't have. He doesn't ask you for what you don't have. He asks you for what you have. He asks you for what you have in your hands because that's what he does. You know, he builds on what you have. He, he works with what you have. So what, what do you have? Give me and, and let me show you. Give me and watch this, right? And that's what Jesus asks. What, what do we have? And then they are able to source five loaves of bread and two fish. If you know the story, this is a very well-known story. And voila, Jesus takes those five loaves and two fish. And he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. It was an astounding miracle. It was an amazing miracle. People were so amazed. They were so Encouraged, they were, they, they, they were so astounded by what just happened that they were ready to overthrow the Roman Empire. They were ready to take up arms and fight for Jesus. They were ready to say, you know what? We're going to make a country out of this and you're going to be our king. Because of a miracle that Jesus did, that he multiplied bread, they wanted to turn him king. They wanted to overthrow the entire system. You think I'm exaggerating? Look at John chapter 6, verse 15. Perceiving that, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, whether you like it or not, you're going to be your king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now that, that is a good day. Because if Jesus were to gauge his following by that day, if he were to gauge his public speaking skills by that day, if he were to gauge his his miracle performer, his, his performance as a miracle worker by that day, that was a good day. That was the day where he, put, he could put on the ledger. For awards were given by greatest miracle worker of all time. He would have gotten one that day. He would have been a home run. It was a perfect, perfect day. Until the very next day. Because on the very next day, the same crowds came back. And then a little more. A few more people came looking for Jesus. They came to the same place at the same time, and they showed up. And I imagine that they were talking to each other. I imagine that they were walking around telling each other, wonder what Jesus is going to have on the menu for us today. Man, those salmon rolls were amazing last yesterday. They were delicious. I wonder what he's going to come up with. I hope he gets some lamb ready for us. Whoo! Mashed potatoes. 
I hope Jesus will get something else for us today. They came ready, but he wasn't there. Jesus was not there. He had moved on, and they were disappointed. The text says in chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus called them out. Jesus said, you're coming after me because you're hungry, not because of the sign. And so they began an argument because that was an oral tradition uh, culture. It was an oral culture. They, they, oral tradition was uh, uh, an argumentative tradition. And everything got passed down and taught orally. So whenever you, you come up with a, a statement of purpose, that's why you see that a lot in the New Testament. People contest it. They are seeking to understand. They ask questions. So an argument ensues. But it wasn't an argument of whether Jesus should feed him or not. It was an argument of the purpose of his life and the purpose of his calling. Because they perceived him as a prophet who should become king. And he was trying to show them, listen, the signs are pointing somewhere else. What I'm doing, the miracle, are pointing, is pointing somewhere else. But they could not see the provider past the provision. They were so hooked on the miracle itself that they did not understand the purpose of the miracle. They couldn't see past that. They were pointing somewhere else. So Jesus brings it all together. Verses 48 through 53. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that come down from heaven that came down from heaven, anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now imagine you hearing that. So the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> Sushi? No. How can his men... This man give us his flesh to eat. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Woo! This went way over their heads. See, they weren't looking for what Jesus was providing. They weren't looking for a Savior. They weren't looking for what he came to do. In other words, they were saying, Jesus, we had Moses. We already had somebody to come and save us from slavery. We already had someone to, that, that came and, 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 and was the, the channel of God. We already received the law. Moses was the man. He was the, 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 the Savior. He was the guy who received the Word of God and gave us the law. We already got that. You don't need to be that. What we need is a king. We need a David. We don't need a Moses. We need a David. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. I am the bread. The manna was just a symbol. I am the living manna. Listen, you are coming to me because, because of what I can do for you. You are working and laboring for temporary things. You are here for the bread, the healing, and the fuzzy feeling. You're here to get the stuff. But my purpose is not to give you the stuff. My purpose is to give you my life. I'm here to give you myself. I have come so that you may have my life. And you are working for what is temporary. I'm here to give you what is eternal. 
I don't want to just heal your liver and your heart and your lungs and your flesh. I want to heal your soul. I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you a new life, an eternal life. I'm not going to heal your physical eyes and then leave your spirit blind. And it's not because I'm stingy. It's not because I don't want you to have the stuff. It's because you can't just have the lesser things and dismiss the greater things. They're not going to do you any good. You got to understand that this is about eternity. This is about a new way of life. See, this is a message in itself right there. And you can take that and, and, and receive that. But there's something happening in the underbelly of this message that Jesus is doing. He is, he, is, he is there sharing not only what he's supposed to do. He's not only teaching them and showing them himself. But here is someone, Jesus, someone with a purpose. Someone who in the middle, because of his performance, because of what he did for the people, he had culture trying to decide what he was supposed to do with that. He had people around him pressuring him to, and trying to shape him to go their way. And what did he do? He set the record straight. He said, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. You don't get to shape my, my purpose. This is my purpose. Listen, you don't get to tell me where to go. I am the way. You don't get to have me follow you. Because I don't follow culture. I set culture. I don't succumb to peer pressure. I stand by purpose. That's what he was doing. The text continues and tells us what happened next. This is what happened next. Verses 66 through 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. People unfollowed Jesus because they didn't have their lunch. People literally unfollowed Jesus. And this was probably the biggest downturn in his ministry to date, I think. Certainly recorded in the scriptures. Everybody left him. He looks at the 12 and says, do you want to go? What we understand from the stack says that if Jesus had an Instagram account for the millennials in the room. And he had thousands and thousands of followers. And his message was a post. The next day he would have had 12 followers. Everybody gone. Except that following someone in Jesus' day actually meant something. Except that following someone in Jesus' day meant that they got to shape and frame your belief system. They got to frame your worldview. They got to frame your morality. So it meant something. When they said, I will follow you, it meant something. When they said, I will unfollow you, it actually meant something. They were rejecting your message, rejecting your principle, rejecting what you have come to do. And Jesus had people turn their backs on him. The very next day, the same people who were trying to make him king, by force, mind you, turned their backs and said, this is too hard. This is too hard a teaching. This is just 
too hard. See, Jesus knows what it feels like to have ups and downs. And if you've ever had ups and downs here, if you've ever, ha ever had a great day on one day and a really bad day on the next, on one day the boss says, good job, you're doing great here. I can see you retiring in this company. And the next day he says, this is a warning, the next time you're out. If you've ever had a day like that, where one day, you know, you hear, ooh, I love you. You're so great. We're never going to be apart. Nothing, nothing can tear us apart. The very next day, something happens, and I don't even want to look at you right now because I'm so mad at you. Get out of my face. <laughs> If you ever had a day like that, ups and downs. It's great and it's horrible. Jesus knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. Jesus knows what you've been through. And there are a couple less lessons that we, we can learn here. I want to give you three, okay? These are, this is the application. I'm going to go through them for you here today. The first one, when you have days like that, when, you, when you're in the middle and you have highs and lows, You can't be afraid to stand alone. Don't be afraid to stand alone because it is better to stand alone in wisdom than to fall in the company of fools. It's better that you stand alone in wisdom than for you to fall in the company of fools because standing alone does not mean that you are lonely. Standing alone means that you know where you stand. It means that you know where you're supposed to stand. It means that you know that you are not working for people's approval, that you're not working for culture's approval, that you're not working for those people that will walk, on you, off, walk out on you on the very next day. But you are working for God's approval, the one who called you, the one who gave you a mission, the one who gave you a vision, the one who empowered you with talents and gifts, the one who gave you the breath that you breathe every single day. You are working for His approval. And God's desire is that you love your neighbor. God's desire is that you love those around you. God's desire is that you forgive others. If you're married in the room, God's desire is that you love your spouse with all your life and your heart and that you be faithful no matter what. It's to love one another as brothers and sisters, not as groups of people who are different, as brothers and And sisters, it's for us to be generous with our resources. God's desire is that we would have joy. Joy that gives us strength to face every single day. God's desire is that we may choose to love even when it's hard. So when people try to manipulate you, when people try to manipulate your purpose and manipulate your mission and manipulate your vision for their own benefit, because if they did it to Jesus, you're going to see that. Stand, even if you have to stand alone. Stand for God's will in your life. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. You've got to remain consistent even when your surroundings don't. You remain consistent. You remain and do what you're supposed to do. You do what you were called to do. That's what Jesus did. You keep giving your best. You keep doing what you're supposed to do. You keep showing up on time even when nobody notices. Even when you don't get a pat on the back. You keep showing kindness whether people say thank you or not. Whether they don't even realize it. You keep 
showing your kindness. You keep doing your best. You remain consistent in your calling. I've got to tell you, in our house, Saturdays are important. We have this value. Saturdays are important because on Saturdays is the day that preludes uh, the Sunday. So for us, we spend, it, uh, me particularly, I spend a significant amount of time going over my message, praying, meditating, thinking about it. And even if I'm not in the office or holding my Bible or going through the notes, in my mind, I'm constantly going through it and thinking about it and, and, and praying that God would bless you and praying that God would move our mission and praying that, that people may be transformed and meet Him every single morning. So Saturdays are important, and we don't really go out on Saturdays, especially Saturday nights. We have our family time in the morning, in the afternoon, and toward the evening, we just remain focused. It's our choice. You know, we don't, we don't really watch movies on Saturday nights. We don't go out. And if I'm speaking, Aline is very good at making sure that I get a good night of sleep. She takes care of the kids, anything that might, might be happening. And if she's speaking, I try to do the same for her. Because we only get about 90 minutes a week as a church to come together and celebrate and sing and, and share and, and you know, have this time that's so important. We only have about 90 minutes a week as a community. I know you guys meet together in connect groups and we see each other during the week. But as a whole body coming together, this is important. And we know we have a role. Well, this, is, this is a team effort and everybody plays a part. But for what we are meant to do, we try to be our best. And now I got to say that since we started Connect Community, a disproportionate amount of Saturdays. Have, have presented some difficulties. We've had a disproportionate amount of Saturdays where our children have been sick. I'm telling you, like they're good all the week, but if you count what week of, uh, day, day of the week that they, are, they come down with something, it's usually Saturdays. Now what do we do? We remain consistent. We try to remain consistent in prayer. We try to remain consistent in our meditation. We try to remain consi consistent in our dedication and our devotion to God. And I thank God for my wife and for my daughters the same way when we're going through a challenging Saturday as I do when we're having a great Saturday. Now what am I saying? I'm encouraging you today to not become a victim of things that were meant, never meant to have any power over you. Don't become a victim of things that are never meant to have any kind of power over your life or to rule your life. You cannot dictate what your day is going to look like. You cannot dictate the challenges that you're going to face. You are not going to be able to dictate, always dictate what kind of day you're going to have. But you can choose how, what you're going to do that day. You can choose how you're going to react. You determine what you are going to do. See, and God gives you talents. He gave you abilities. He gave you things for you to fulfill. He gave you a mission. He gave you a purpose. And your days are not going to look the same. So on challenging days, don't draw the shades and pull up the covers and binge on Netflix and hope for a miracle. On challenging days, you do your best. You remain consistent. You do your good work. You remember that you are not a victim, but you are a victor. That it doesn't matter what comes against you. You can remain consistent in your work, in your devotion, in your calling. Because when you are faithful in the little, God will take you over much. He will take you over much. So remain consistent even when your surroundings do not. And the third thing that I want to share with you and last thing here 
is a very important principle. And this is a leadership principle that we share with our team. And this is a principle that you can apply in many areas of your life. And here's the, the, the third thing. You cling to the mission, but you tweak the method. Cling to the mission and tweak the method. See, this is vital. It's very important for us to know the difference between your mission being under attack and your method being whack. There is a big difference there. A lot of people think that their mission is being not working, is not progressing because, oh, it's under attack. Oh, my gosh, I'm facing this, I'm facing that. When, in fact, the method is whack. It's a weak method. It's not working. See, a great mission, a great calling, a great vision with, with a bad method, it's not going to get you anywhere. You're not going to be able to progress with a bad method. And if the method is not given, delivering in results, it's probably not the mission's problem. It's the method's problem. See, Jesus knew his mission. He knew his mission. He knew what he was called to do on this earth. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I came that they may have life. His mission was to give you life and to give life eternal. And he would not trade that for the glory of being a miracle worker and becoming king and the, the wrongfully placed praises of people. He stuck to the mission. He tweaked the method. He stuck to the mission. He embraced the mission. He was saying, I'm not your earthly king. I'm your heavenly savior. See, if you know your mission, you got to cling to your mission, but always submit your method to the mission. Whatever method you use to accomplish the mission, submit it to it. Don't, win, don't be so enamored with your mission, that, that, that with your method, that your mission suffers. We do this on Sundays here with our team throughout the week. We're constantly thinking about the methods that we use to make sure that they are effective. See, here's our mission as a church, to connect you to God, connect you to, to others, and connect you to purpose. That's our mission. That's unchanging. That's the mission that God gave us. That's what we want to do and want to see happen. This is leadership that you're hearing now, okay? You can take that and apply to your teams and your home and your environments. Sunday services are a method. They work because our culture is accustomed to going to church on Sunday, on Sunday mornings. Connect groups are a method. We love connect groups. We believe in connect groups, but it's a method. Our brunches and breakfasts, those are methods. And if the moment they stop working, we do them because they work. We do them because we see results. We do them because we've heard stories and stories and stories. Even in our church here, in our, in our short uh, time of existence, we've seen so many, heard so many stories of people's lives changed through connect groups. And we believe in connect groups. But we believe in them because they are a great method to deliver the vision of God for this church and to change your life. The moment they stop working, we can tweak it. We can change it. We will do something else because we are embracing the mission, not the method. So how do you, do you measure the effectiveness of your method? Is it working? 
Is it delivering the mission? See, every single one of you, you have a mission to fulfill. You have a vision to fulfill. Too many people have quit on their mission because they have tried the same method again and again and again and they, had, they didn't see any results. Relationships have suffered. Businesses have suffered. Ideas have suffered. Dreams have suffered because you embrace the method instead of submitting the method to the mission. What's the mission of your marriage? Hopefully it's unity, love, oneness. Most likely if you're facing issues in your marriage, it's not a mission problem. It's a method problem. What you were doing to uphold the mission is the problem. It's not the, it's not the mission. Don't call it off. You know, work on the method. Let God use different avenues for you to revive the mission same thing with a business or an idea maybe you're here this morning and you have something in your heart and you've tried 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 and you have not seen any progress but if you tried and tried and tried the same way and using the same method you're not going to see any progress you already have your answer so ask God God give me a new method give me a new strategy here's my point for this third thing don't quit on the mission that God gave you just because the method is ineffective submit your heart to God cling to the mission and allow him to tweak your methods see when you're in the middle when you have days that are high and days that are low when you have ups and downs you got to learn to stand alone even if you have to stand alone stand alone remain consistent and embrace the mission and you will see better days ahead you receive it this morning let's stand